0: City WLCC Brandon
1: Faith Talk Tampa Online at Let's Talk Faith.com.
0: Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries And is pre-recorded
2: If you want to overcome The desires of the flesh Then you have to walk by the Spirit And when you walk by the Spirit The fruit of the Spirit will be cultivated and produced in you. The more you walk by the Spirit, the more fruit He'll produce in your life. It's as simple as that. And that's why, folks, this is one of the key verses and truths or passages about sanctification. If you're having trouble in your life, in any area that is sin-related, this is always the solution. Always the solution. This is Verse by Verse, and that was Pastor Steve
1: Preloff, who was our instructor on this daily Bible study. We welcome you and are glad to have you in class. Today, Pastor Steve will be concluding his three-part study on The Conflicts Between the Flesh and the Spirit, Part 2. Our class emphasis today is The Fruit of the Spirit. I know you will find this study to be of great help. We have lots to cover, so let's get right down to business. Here is Pastor Steve.
2: Disputes. The thought behind this word is selfish ambition an approach to life that selfishly tries to get ahead of others, even at the expense of other people. That is to say, disputes means to work only for our own interests, without any concern for anyone else. Dissensions, the word means strong disagreements which divide people. He's not talking about people having different opinions. It's fine to have different opinions, but uh, this is the stuff that divides people. Factions are those groups that form when dissensions divide people. Then envying. This is related to the concept of jealousy, but it seems to be even more intense to the point that it begrudges anything good happening to someone else. When we're unhappy, when someone else succeeds, that's envying. This is the sin that in the words of another Greek philosopher, Socrates is, and I quote, pained by their friends' successes. Somebody tells you something good happened to them, you're pained by that. Or in the words of another writer, envying is rejoicing at the misfortune of others. Glad that something like that happens to them. I think you get the picture. Now, the fourth and final category of deeds of the flesh that Paul lists are mentioned in verse 21. And these are a couple of alcohol-related sins that go together, drunkenness and carousing. What does he mean by this? Well, drunkenness refers to being intoxicated by alcohol, and then carousing refers to the wild parties where people get intoxicated. Now, folks, these are, as we said, just some of the deeds of the flesh, and it's quite a sordid list. And as we said, if Paul wanted to, he could have continued naming behavior just like this because he said, and things like these, indicating that there's a lot more fleshly deeds he could have mentioned but he doesn't. Why? Because he's made his point. His point being that these are the kinds of evil actions that our flesh produces. But I want you to notice, as Paul concludes this list of fleshly works, he issues to us a very sober warning that we all should heed. He says at the end of verse 21, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, apparently Paul had previously warned the Galatians about the danger of carrying out these sins, and he probably warned them when he was with them personally. But now in this letter, he warns them again that those who practice such things, he says, will not inherit the kingdom of God, meaning that they're not saved. When they die, they're going to be barred from going to heaven they will go to hell that's a very serious warning and it's troubled many christians and it's caused many christians to doubt their salvation because they read this verse as if paul is saying that anyone who's guilty of these sins is going to hell truth of the matter is is that every one of us has committed some if not many of these sins since we've been saved so does this mean as the young man i recently talked to believed that you have to be perfect to go to heaven, or does this mean that if you commit one of these sins and you'll lose your salvation? Absolutely not. That's not Paul's point at all. Listen closely, because the key word to understand Paul's warning is the word practice. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The kind of person that Paul is talking about is the person who continually and habitually practices these kinds of sins as a way of life without any concern to change, without any concern to repent. This person is not interested in changing at all. Paul's not referring to a Christian who occasionally lapses into one of these sins and then feels terrible about it and repents over it and desires with all of his or her heart to stop doing it. He's not referring to someone like that. Paul has in mind an unsaved, Unregenerate person who rather than occasionally lapses into sins like these is totally dominated by sins like these. They're committed with all of their hearts to doing the very things that Paul's mentioned immorality, idolatry, strife, envying, etc. These are the people who demonstrate by their behavior that they are enslaved to such sins. They're not free. They're enslaved. They have never been transformed by Christ, regardless of their profession of of faith. They have never received a new nature, and they do not have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. You couldn't possibly live like this as an ongoing lifestyle and be a Christian. And so, because this is the kind of behavior that the flesh produces, those who are unsaved practice such things because they are Note this, totally fleshly. This is all they have. Therefore, they are only doing what comes naturally to them, the works of the flesh. We can't expect anything more. You're not going to get anything more. I want you to look at a passage in which Paul wrote about some of the same things Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, Paul wrote some things that help us to clarify what he was writing about here in Galatians 5. In Romans 8, Starting at verse five, chapter eight, verse five, we read, for those who are according to the flesh, and he's talking about unsaved people now, set their minds on the things of the flesh. That's what they think about. That's all they think about. But those who are according to the spirit, now he's talking about believers, the things of the spirit. We set our minds on the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. Why? Because it comes out of a person who's dead spiritually. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. That's how unbelievers are. They hate God for it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so. An unregenerate person is not able to obey God. He doesn't want to obey God. First of all, and he's not able to at all either. Verse eight. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now notice the very next thing that Paul says, verse nine, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Question is, how would you know if the spirit of God dwells in you? It's pretty important. Paul says, if he doesn't dwell in you, you're not one of his, you're not one of Christ. How would you know if the spirit of God dwells in you? Well, well, If those who are in the flesh produce the works of the flesh, then those who are in the spirit produce the fruit of the spirit. And that is precisely where Paul is going in Galatians chapter five, as he makes a contrast now between the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Galatians five verses 22 and 23 say this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Again, such things, there is no law. Now, once again, here are a few things to keep in mind as we go through this list. First of all, notice that Paul does not refer to this list as the works of the Spirit. He deliberately calls it the fruit of the Spirit in contrast to the works of the flesh. And the reason he does this is because he's emphasizing that the works of the flesh are what we produce. We produce by our own effort, by our own activities, but the fruit of the Spirit is what the Spirit of God produces in us solely, note this, solely apart from anything we do. You see, no matter what you do, you cannot by yourself produce the fruit of the Spirit. No amount of effort or activity will produce or manufacture this fruit in your life. In fact, the fruit that Paul mentions here actually are not works at all. Notice their attitudes, all of them, love, joy, peace, patience, they're all attitudes. There is absolutely nothing that you and I can do to produce these attitudes in our lives, no matter how hard we might try. They come totally from the Holy Spirit, producing them in you, if you're a believer in Christ. You see, note this. Paul is once again reminding us in a letter that stresses justification by faith alone, that there is nothing we can do to make ourselves fit for heaven. Salvation is all of God's grace. The only thing we're capable of doing are the ugly sins of the flesh, deeds of the flesh. Secondly, notice that when Paul speaks of what the Spirit produces in us, notice he uses the singular rather than the plural. This is rather significant. In other words, he doesn't call these the fruits, of the Spirit, but rather the fruit of the Spirit. And the reason for this is because when the Spirit of God dwells in you, he produces all of these virtues as a unit rather than as distinct and unrelated character qualities. They are simply various aspects of one fruit, the fruit that has its source in the Holy Spirit, which he produces in all believers. Now, There may be, and here's the balance, there may be, and there are, various manifestations and degrees of the fruit of the Spirit being produced in us, but every one of these virtues exists in every believer to some degree, and they are produced as a unit of character qualities. That is to say, if you have one of these virtues, you have them all, because they come as a unit of fruit, although And once again, here's the balance. Although some virtues need more developing than others, they are there in your life if you know Christ. Third, the fruit of the Spirit in the life of an individual reveals that that person is a true Christian, that they're real, that they're really saved. That is to say that if this fruit of the Spirit is evident in your life, it's the outward indication that you are saved. And that the Spirit of God lives in you, you couldn't possibly have any of these virtues in your life without the Spirit dwelling in you because he, the Holy Spirit, is the source of them. Once again, Jesus addressed this very issue in Matthew chapter seven, starting at verse 16, our Lord said this, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor a bad tree produce good fruit. If the spirit of God dwells in you, he is that good tree producing good godly fruit in you. Now, do not be discouraged if you don't see as much fruit in your life as you would like to. Every believer feels that way. We all want to see more fruit in our life, but understand that takes time. Godly fruit takes time to be cultivated and developed and you just can't have that overnight. But the way to bear more fruit is explained by Paul. Walk by the Spirit. That's precisely Paul's point. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not do the works of the flesh, but you will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Folks, that's the point he's, he's making. Don't get lost in, in all these lists and miss that point. In other words, the more you walk in the Spirit, the more the Holy Spirit will produce godly fruit In your life, another way of putting this is to say that the Spirit's job is to produce this fruit, not our job, but our job is to be in tune with the Spirit so that he produces the fruit in us. Now, I want to go through this list of the fruit of the Spirit, explaining the meaning of each virtue, and once again, as I did with the works of the flesh, I'm going to just be very brief in my explanation because, as I said, the meanings of these words are rather self-explanatory. But we should understand that every one of these virtues resides and exists perfectly in Jesus Christ. And that's why the Holy Spirit produces them in us, because he is constantly conforming us to the image of Christ. There are nine virtues that Paul lists, so here they are. Number one, heading the list is, is, is love. Love heads the list of the fruit of the Spirit, probably because love encompasses all the other virtues. In other words, if you have love in you, then you're going to have all these other attitudes as expressions of love for God and love for others. Now, the New Testament, we know, has a great deal to say about love. But when you boil it all down, love is essentially the attitude in which we selflessly and sacrificially serve others by putting them ahead of our own interests. That's what love is we sacrificially and selflessly serve others by putting them ahead of ourselves and our own interests. It is just the opposite of the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are all lustful. They're all taking. They're not giving. They're selfish. They're self-centered. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love gives. Secondly, joy. This is that attitude of heart which causes us to rejoice in all of our circumstances regardless of what happens to us. And we rejoice because we know that everything is right between us and our Lord. That's joy. It's not happiness. Happiness is based on something happening to you. Joy is based on your relationship with Christ. Joy, as Philip Ryken puts it, is the ability to take good cheer from the gospel. It's a great word. Peace. This is the attitude of inner tranquility, that comes from knowing that we're saved, that it is well with our soul, even when we go through trials. That's peace. Patience. This is that wonderful virtue of being patient with people who mistreat us, people who irritate us, people who annoy us, people who might persecute us. It is sometimes translated long-suffering because this is the attitude of suffering a long time without losing our temper and striking back in anger. Patience is just the opposite of the fleshly deed of outbursts of anger. It is not a dog that immediately barks. It is a quiet dog that's very patient. Kindness is the attitude of being ready to help others by doing practical actions to meet their needs. Essentially, kindness is caring about others by treating them well. Goodness, this is an attitude that's really related to kindness, but it seems to involve being kind to those people who are undeserving of any kindness. It, it speaks of self-sacrificing in a, in a more generous way than just kindness. Faithfulness, this is the attitude of loyalty and dependability. When we walk by the Spirit, the Spirit makes us reliable people, people who keep their word. If they say something, they do it. This is just the opposite of the immorality of the flesh in which a spouse is unfaithful to their marriage partner. Gentleness is the attitude of humble submission to God, accepting his sovereign dealings in our lives without the desire to strike back in anger and retaliate at those who hurt us. Gentleness. Finally, self-control is the attitude of restraining our physical appetites, especially in the areas of sex, of eating food and drinking. Those who have self-control exercise self-discipline and are not ruled by their passions. This is just the opposite of the works of the flesh in sensuality and drunkenness, where they are out of control and constantly giving in to their physical appetites. Now, these are the nine virtues of the fruit of the Spirit. These are the attitudes that the Holy Spirit produces in the life of a true believer. As I said before, with some believers, there's more fruit than others, but this fruit, at least the manifestation of this fruit. But the fruit always exists to one degree or another in a true believer. If there's no fruit there, it reveals that you have never been converted. Now, as I said before, don't get lost in this list and miss Paul's main point. If you want to overcome the desires of the flesh, then you have to walk by the Spirit. And when you walk by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will be cultivated And produced in you. The more you walk by the Spirit, the more fruit He'll produce in your life. It's as simple as that. And that's why, folks, this is one of the key verses and truths or passages about sanctification. If you're having trouble in your life, in any area that is sin related, this is always the solution. Always the solution. If you're having trouble, for example, in your marriage, the answer is walk by the Spirit. And Godly attitudes will be produced in you. If you're having trouble with a a problem concerning your thought life or a besetting sin, the answer once again is walk by the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is it. This is the way God wants every believer to live. And it doesn't come about by keeping any rules, any codes, a set of do's and don'ts. It comes about by walking in the spirit. And that's why Paul makes the point at the end of verse 23, when he says, against such things, there is no law. Against these attitudes, there's no law. Why? Well, obviously, because all of these attitudes fulfill the very righteousness that's demanded by the law, which is to love God and love others. That fulfills the law. There would be no law against these attitudes. This is the, the kind of righteous demands that the law makes which we didn't have the power in and of ourselves to fulfill. But we can by the spirit of God. Now, as we wrap this up, there's really just two things to point out. Number one, if you don't see any fruit, spiritual fruit, in your life, and I mean none, then you need to examine your heart to see if you're a Christian. Because according to this, you are not a Christian. No fruit means the spirit does not dwell in you. And if the spirit does not dwell in you, in Paul's words, You don't belong to Christ. You still need to be converted. You still need to make sure that your trust is in Christ alone for your salvation. You are not saved. That's number one. Secondly, if you do see some fruit in your life, but you want to see more, and every true believer really does, then do what Paul said. Walk by the Spirit, and you'll see more spiritual fruit. Now, you have to have a plan. Don't just go from here thinking, well, that's interesting, and someday I'm going to get around to that. Have a strategy. What are you going to do? What book are you going to read? What good Christian book are you going to get into? What scripture are you going to memorize? What are you going to refrain from? Maybe what television shows you're not going to watch? What radio programs you're not going to listen to? What are you going to do differently? You've got to have a strategy, or else you're not going to walk by the Spirit, as Paul said. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for such instructive passage of Scripture. Thank you for caring about our sanctification, for giving us your revealed truths about how to not gratify the desires of the flesh. Lord, we all struggle in this area, but I pray that you'll help us, those of us who know you, to take heed to what Paul said, to walk by the Spirit, to not make it deeper than it really is, but today to have a strategy, a plan to fill our minds with spiritual godly thoughts so that we starve the thoughts of the flesh. Pray, Lord, that you help each of us in that area. And I pray for, for those who, if they're honest, see no fruit in their lives. Help them not to deceive themselves. Help them to be honest with the Word of God and to recognize that they don't know Christ. But I pray that you'll draw them to Christ, that you'll put a desire in their heart to come to the Savior. So Lord, we pray that you give us wisdom how to apply these truths, not to other people's lives, but to our own, that we might honor and glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This series on
1: Galatians 5 has one more message to finish the chapter. On our next verse-by-verse, Steve will be bringing us the first of three parts on the final verses of Galatians chapter 5 on the topic of the conflicts between the flesh and the spirit. Please join us. These daily Bible studies come to you from Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where Pastor Steve Kreloff has been ministering since 1981. Verse by verse is an outgrowth of Steve's expository method of teaching that clearly opens up the Word of God in an easy to understand manner. We hope they are a blessing to you and your family. If you would like to listen again to this study, point your web browser to versebyverseradio.org and click on the Message Archive tab. If you would like a CD of all three parts of this message, titled Conflicts Between the Flesh and the Spirit, Part 2, call us at 727-239-0306. Please remember that Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry. As listeners like you are blessed, we would encourage you to become prayer and financial partners with us. We want you to be faithful to your own local church and then give as the Lord directs you. Of course, you can always pray for this ministry. Our phone number again is 727-239-0306 and the website is org.